0: Welcome to Heart Church. We believe that the gospel has the power to change your whole life or your life. We hope you're ready to hear from God and be impacted by this message. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Just uh, get myself comfy. Wait for my glasses to demist. Fantastic to be here with you. It really, really is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As Lawrence just said, we're um, on week two of our series, Body, Soul, Spirit. I'm Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team at Hurt Church. And if you're visiting for the first time or if you're just new around church and we haven't met in person yet, it's fantastic to have you here. Welcome. 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 Um, I love... David. Of all the people in the Bible, the character David, I just love him. Uh, I think he's amazing. Uh, Andy Copsey, one of our staff team, here, he says that David is like a New Testament character in the Old Testament. All of his struggles, all of his trials, all of his temptations, all of his failures are written down for us to see in the Word of God. He, was the, he grew up as the least amongst his brothers in a family that was the least among their tribe in a tribe that was the least among Israel and when his brothers were out um, doing war against the Philistines he was sent to look after the sheep and he only got to the battle lines when he was sent with sandwiches for them I mean he sent with sandwiches ah uh, yeah you stay at home little boy and he ended up going and because he developed such a great deep relationship with God and because he developed skills whilst looking after the sheep He was able to kill Goliath the giant that was standing against God's people. And then he was sent to the palace to look after and to minister to King Saul to play beautiful music. But then... King Saul messed it up and David was anointed in King Saul's place and then King Saul wanted to kill him. So the guy that he wanted to serve and honour wanted to kill him and eventually he became king and then you hear all the challenges and difficulties that he had. He he, he got involved in a murderous plot, a successfully murderous plot to to kill the husband of a woman he had an adulterous relationship with that resulted in a... He had a mess of a life and so many great things happened in his life and in all of those things he was described in the new testament as a man after God's own heart and when Jesus was described later on he was described as the son of David I just I just love that how can it be possible to have such a complex, messed up, challenging, difficult life, and still be described as a man after God's own heart, and still flourish and prosper and leave so much of a rich heritage for so many people. And the great thing is, is that David's emotional life is chronicled for us in the Book of Psalms. It's not just poetry; it's an insight into the human soul. And David speaks with such honesty, and with such repentance, and. such a power and he speaks of such a powerful inner life with God and one of those psalms he says this in Psalm 131 he says this "O Lord my heart is not lifted up my eyes are not raised too high I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me but I have calmed and quietened my soul Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child. Child is my soul within me. Israel, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. He was able to talk about his own soul. Like a child that had been trained to know that food was coming. So it didn't have to strive and scream and squawk and moan. Because it could be held to its mother's breast in peace and comfort and receive everything because it knew that its needs were being taken care of he spoke so much about his soul but he also spoke a lot to his soul and that's what we're here to talk about this morning we're going to come back to some of the things that David said later but before we do let's think about that word soul what do we mean when we say soul? There are so many ideas around about what, what do we mean when we say that word soul? But the Bible is pretty clear. The first mention of the word soul is in Genesis. The, the word translated as soul is, is the Hebrew word nefesh. Nefesh. Everyone say nefesh now. I can't hear you. Say it louder. I'm going to count in 3 You're going to say nefesh. Oh, okay. One, two, three. Nefesh. That's pretty good, that's pretty good. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, and God said, sorry, 2 and verse 7, it says this, and Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So the breath of God was the animating power. The animating power. But he didn't give man a soul. It says, and man became a living soul man became a nefesh it suggests that a soul is not something you have it suggests that a soul is something you are and that seems to be the pattern right the way through the bible earlier on in genesis genesis chapter 1 verse 20 it says this it says and god said let the water team with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. But a truer translation would be, let the earth team with living nepheshes, living souls, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. There's all kind, in Old Testament times, uh, a murderer was called a nefesh slayer, a soul slayer. Uh, a kidnapper was called a nefesh thief, a soul thief. When a priest was told not to defile himself by touching a dead body, many translations say a dead person. And the reason they say a dead person is because the word isn't the same as a body. It's a dead nefesh, a dead soul. You know, the nefesh, the soul... Many people believe or talk as if they believe that that what that nefesh is, is the eternal part of a human being. And human beings are built for eternity. uh, Luke 23, 43, Jesus speaking to the thief on the cross says, today you will be with me in paradise. We have a promise of an eternity with God. If we look a little bit deeper, the biggest part of that eternity is going to be in a restored resurrected body a resurrected body a nefesh is what we're experiencing in this season your soul is not what will be set free by death and malcolm's going to be talking about the spirit in session three of this session the soul is your being the Soul is your being, not an immaterial thing trapped in a body waiting to be released by death. It is your being. Your soul is, let's list these things. It's your mind, your will, your emotions, your conscience. It's also your central nervous system, your autonomic nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system, and your endocrine system. Caroline Leaf Fantastic Christian neurologist talks about your mind, your brain being a, a physiological thing, and you're including all of those systems, and your, and your, your mind occupying your brain, your mind being like a, a, a cloud of activity within that situation. I think it's important to talk about what we mean by soul. In this way, and it's important to talk about it because if we're saying, well, what do we have to do to look after our soul? Because it seems to me that David, what he was great at was looking after his soul. We need to know what we're talking about looking after. Let's unpack that a little bit. The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And it also says that he has given us all we need for life and godliness. He has given us all we need for life and godliness. But let me put it to you that it's possible that somebody could give you a million pounds. They could put it in the bank. But unless you do something about it, you will not have the benefit of it. They could give you a million pounds, but unless you get that card and remember that pin, you will not reap the benefit of it. Unless you go to a cash machine or go in to speak to a personal banker and decide what you're going to do with that money and look after it, you will not have the benefit of it. There are so many people who have so many blessings from God waiting for them to take hold of them, but because they're not taking care of them, they're not taking, taking responsibility for them. They may as well not have them. He has given us all we need for life and godliness. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. If we lived our lives constantly aware of every possible threat or every potential threat, if we had to concentrate for every moment of every day on our heartbeat or our breathing rate, we'll be completely unable to function. So we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has set us up with the systems that I mentioned before that contribute to the experience of being physiologically alive. He gave us an alarm system. For that's constantly going on in the background but most of the time we're not aware of it that picks up triggers that suggest to us where there might be a problem there might be a threat there might be a difficulty that's part of our sympathetic nervous system and there's a little bit of it in the middle of your brain called the amygdala and when you pick up a threat even subconsciously before you're even aware of it your amygdala is sending out signals to to, to release hormones that will trigger a response which will then enable your body to deal with any challenge that comes its way you've heard of fight flight well it's fight flight freeze feed friend a reaction that basically sends an increased heart rate an increase in blood sugar so that heart pumps blood to your muscles and that there is there is energy available for your muscles to fight whatever's attacking you to 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 to, to, to flee whatever is ever attacking you to reach out to people to engage with people and build relationships to engage to deal with whatever is attacking you those hormones will will, will stop blood supply to non-essential organs your skin goes pale your gut stops digesting your gut stops digesting. Your sex drive disappears. You get an increased focus on the issue which is a threat and a decreased focus which on other things that aren't perceived to be a threat. So you can fight it, flee from it, hide from it, gain support from others to fight it or to understand it or to tell you you don't need to worry. Calm down. There's nothing to be afraid of. When the threat is gone, we clear up afterwards. And I want to say that stress... Is what I've just described. Stress, a good definition of stress, and it'll be on your screens now, is stress is what arises when something that we care about is at stake. Stress is what arises when something that we care about is at stake. Stress is not a bad thing. Stress is about caring. But when stress becomes unabated, unresolved, un responded to when stress is consistently there and we don't deal with it we don't overcome it or we don't understand it and understand that we don't need to deal with whatever's stressing us then anxiety results a good definition of anxieties is anxiety is unhelpful thinking patterns where we fixate on stress uncertainty or fear unhelpful thinking patterns where we fixate on stress anxiety or fear you know, this season that we're all living through right now is a rich territory for anxiety. So many people are dealing with so many very, very challenging situations right now threats to their physical well being, threats to their financial well being, threats to their health, the health of those around them, threats to their business. People are dealing with grief and loss, which is shaking the foundations of so many, many, many people. I want to tell you, he has given us all we need for life and godliness in this season and in the season to come. He's given us what we need. But are we going to avail ourselves of it? Are we going to do what needs to be done in order to get what we need to get in order to do what he wants us to do? Or are we going to be ruled by our lives instead of leading our lives into the fullness of what God has planned for us? from before the beginning of time. We're going to look at that for the next few moments, from David's example and elsewhere in the Bible. So what are the symptoms of anxiety? Well, symptoms of anxiety... Are um, uh, uh, many and varied uh, mental symptoms of anxiety might include sleeplessness, palpitations, gastrointestinal problems, having a feeling of having a weight on your chest, racing thoughts, difficulty concentrating, irritability, changes in appetite. I have a feeling there are people listening, you're nudging each other, and you're saying, Yeah, that's you, that is, or maybe you're thinking, Yeah, that's that's me. That is. But anxiety symptoms can lead to anxiety behaviours. Let's think about some of those anxiety behaviours that we might be experiencing. Firstly, threat scanning. Constantly checking your news feed. Constantly checking in with those that you love. Constantly checking with that, that, that blogger or that person that's giving you a report of what they say is going on. Constantly looking at your f- bodily function. Checking yourself for symptoms symptoms of disease, looking out for the thing that could go wrong, looking out constantly for the thing that could cause you harm, threat scanning, catastrophizing, which is basically giving the worst possible interpretation of anything that occurs. So she isn't answering my texts. She could be dead. He looked at me in a way that he doesn't usually look at me, and I don't think it's indigestion. I think it's that he hates me and he's going to sack me. That's catastrophizing and we can make it sound funny, but it's not funny because when you're in that anxious position, your sympathetic nervous system is so alert and so aware that you're catastrophizing everything that goes on around, around you. Hypothetical worry, not worrying about things that you know are happening, but worrying about things that you imagine might happen. Postulating every possible outcome and finding something to worry about, even if there's nothing Actually, there to worry about. You will find something to worry about. I used to joke that I was a really great worrier because 99% of the things that I worry about never happen. That's not a sign that I'm a great worrier. That's a sign that I'm dealing with anxiety. Emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning. Making decisions not based on rational thought, not based on you leading your life, but based on your emotions. I want to tell you this morning your emotions are not you. They're not a feature of you and they're not a feature of the world that you live in or the circumstances that are around you. Your emotions are a response to the world around you and they're there for a reason. They're an experience that you are having and your soul is where that experience is happening and God wants you and God wants us to know how to deal with our soul so that our soul doesn't become distressed, disheartened, downtrodden, damaged, bent out of shape, and ultimately destroyed. If we go with emotional reasoning... It's the equivalent of the fire alarm going off in your house. And you jump out of bed, and before checking, is it a false alarm? Is it a faulty alarm? Is it something I can respond to quickly? You jump straight out of the bedroom window, because that alarm has gone off, and you don't think that you should have a relationship with that alarm that is a helpful relationship. You just react to it instinctually. So what are we going to do? David said, I have calmed. I have calmed. I have have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. So how are we going to do that? Well, Lawrence did a brilliant job last week of talking about how to deal with your body. But the truth of it is, your soul, when it's healthy, enables you to engage with your spirit and your spirit is the part of you that engages with God. When it's healthy, that's what happens. But your soul... Is hosted by your body, so Lawrence did a great job of talking about looking after our body. But I want to tell you, what, your body has so, looking after your body has soul implications. Yeah, we've got to look after our diet. Yes, food, sugary foods will flood your blood with sugar and convince your brain that a threat has already been triggered, and you're on a downward spiral from there. Eating plenty of fruit and veg, eating plenty of protein, really, really important. But what about your information diet? News media is designed to be inflammatory. It's designed to wind you up, to get you engaged, to make you feel like you need to keep coming. Because somebody is paying for it and they're being paid to pay for it by license fee payers or by advertisers. It's designed to provoke you. The internet is designed to draw you in. You'll never guess what this person looks like now. And you've clicked through 25 pictures before you realise that the person that you'll never guess isn't even there. They're dragging you in. They're dragging you down. And they're conning you. And social media is just a very, very personalised form of that news agenda. There's a brilliant documentary on Netflix at the moment called The Social Dilemma. I really encourage you to watch it. And it basically says, if it's free, then it's not the product. If it's free... And you're, and somebody's getting paid for you watching it, then you're the product. You are the product by somebody because of a political agenda or a religious agenda or an advertising agenda wants to captivate you and draw you in. And if you're not careful, your information diet will be populated with things that inflame your heart, that trouble your soul, that damage your thinking. Choose a trusted news source. Check in with it every couple of days. If somebody sends you an inflammatory compilation of YouTube clips that tells you that the end of the world is nigh and that the vaccine is evil, and talk to some people who you trust about it. That instinct, fight, flight, freeze, feed, friend. reach out to somebody engage I've had so many conversations in this last few weeks and I'd be so happy to have so many more conversations with people who have been made anxious by news by websites by social media okay Lawrence talked about exercise absolutely exercise your body the truth of it is if if you're not living a healthy lifestyle then our central nervous system including our brain and our sympathetic nervous system don't Talk very much but if we do a load of exercise what that actually does your central nervous system is making it happen and your sympathetic nervous system thinks it's being thinks it's being attacked your sympathetic nervous system what are you doing you're trying to kill us who's chasing us and your central nervous system says no it's okay we're just going on a run trying to get healthy you know watch this dvd realize we were getting a bit overweight we're going to do that and your sympathetic nervous system calms right down But we don't just need to exercise our body. We need to exercise our mind. Have a plan. A plan of what you're going to do each day. Just two or three simple things that you know you're going to be able to achieve each week, each month. When we plan to observe Sabbath and to take control of what we do and recognize that we're going to say no to some things and yes to other things. When we fast, when we choose to abstain from food, we're basically telling our soul, it's okay soul. We've got this. You don't need to be anxious. You can calm down. Exercise your mind through gratitude. Exercise your mind through gratitude. Psalm 103, which I've lost at the moment. Hallelujah. So I can come up on the screen. That would be really great. Psalm 103. David says this. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins? Who redeems all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns, hallelujah, and crowns you with love and compassion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. When we worship God, God doesn't want us to worship him because he's big-headed or insecure. God wants us to worship him because when we worship him we reframe to include God in our lives. So no matter what problem is around us we are reframing to recognize that he is here with me. I am not alone. What I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what I'm perceiving, what I'm experiencing is not all that there is because God is good and he is with me gratitude practice make 5-10 minutes a day to sit down and thank God for all of the good things in your life and then when you go back to face the things that are making you feel challenged emotionally you will realise that you're perceptively changing them you are engaging with them in a completely different way I find myself giving thanks to God for the most ridiculous things But they're all good things to thank God for, even when I'm at my lowest ebb. I spent time seriously one day thanking God that I wasn't born in the 15th century and listing all of the things that wouldn't have been quite so good for me if I'd have been born in the 15th century. And afterwards, I felt great just for having the privilege of being placed in history at this moment. So gratitude, social connection. The next point is social connection. We say at weddings that two are better than one because if one falls down, another can lift them up. It's not just for weddings. Two are better than one. The Word of God tells us that there is wisdom in a multitude of counsellors. Please, stay in touch. Turn up 15 minutes early. For the service and comment in the live chat. Get along to midweek prayer meetings on a Wednesday because we go into breakout rooms and you get a chance to chat as well as to pray. Stay in touch with your life group. Arrange to meet up with people to exercise together. But I'm also going to say stay in touch with the people in the room. Put your phone down. And I'm not just talking to teenagers and young people. you know, a few weeks ago I realised that I had got completely detached from the house where I was living. I was hardly talking to the people who were living in my home with me. I knew more about what Donald Trump was doing this morning than I knew about what my wife and daughters were doing this morning. And the truth of it is, is that we need... We need connection in this time. We need to put our phone down. Make a decision. I'm not going to engage with my phone whenever I'm engaging with somebody else. And that includes being driven by them in a car. I'm going to put my phone down every Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon, and I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to engage with my phone during meals. Make some rules and stick to them, and your soul will calm down because you'll be engaging with real people. But here's the one that I want to finish with. Ways of dealing with your soul. Challenge negative thoughts. The word of God tells us to hold every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And I'll tell you this now. The three characteristics of happy people proven by research are not what they own or what they do or what they have or even what they feel. The three characteristics of happy people Research tells us they challenge negative thoughts. They count their blessings. And they have a sense of purpose in their life. In Psalm 43, verse 5, David said this, and if you come on this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. We need to get to a place in our lives where when feelings come our way, we don't say, I'm having this feeling. That's what's happening in the outside world. We need to get to a place where we challenge those thoughts. We interrogate those thoughts. We say to our soul, soul, what's going on? And then tell the soul your soul some truth. You know, We can spend so much time listening to ourselves that we don't talk to ourselves enough. So I've got a very simple A, B, C, D, E that you can apply in your life in order to challenge these negative thoughts. First A, attention. When you start feeling anxious, when you start feeling stressed, when you start feeling bothered, when you start catastrophizing or threat scanning, when you start doing any of those behaviors, emotional reasoning, stop, just stop. Stop whatever you're doing And say, okay, so what's going on? What am I feeling? Why so downcast, oh my soul? What is this feeling telling me? What is this feeling telling me? And then after attention, capital exclamation mark, capital A exclamation mark, believe, question mark. Do I want to feel like this? And if the answer is no, then you need to think, well, actually, I'm feeling this and I don't want to feel this, so what am I going to do about it? Well, I'm going to choose not to believe it without challenge. Which things brings on to see? So attention, believe? Question mark. Challenge, reframe this situation in the basis of bigger truth. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, "I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you." All these scriptures that Tamsin and Kesey did a great job of reminding us of our favourite scriptures when you hide God's word in your heart when a moment of challenge comes you can speak the truth into a situation rather than just reacting to what you're feeling emotionally challenge it reframe it this is true but this is also true this is true but this will not last I haven't got this yet I can't do that yet put your feelings in a context of your future flourishing I've got to say right now and I'll be honest and if you ever want to talk about this more deeply I'm happy to talk about it I am standing here as a living nefesh as a living soul to speak to you because I hid Psalm 118 verse 17 in my heart it says I will not die but surely live and declare the goodness of God I will not die, I will not die but surely live and declare the goodness of God And time and time again, when the darkest of thoughts came to me, I spoke to my soul and I said, I will not die. I will surely live and declare the goodness of God. Mark Ritchie, one of the elders of the church here, did an amazing podcast series. I think he's doing more of those. Really is amazing, called Soul Focus. It's available on virtually every Platform, And I would just really encourage you, if this is resonating with you and you want to practice how to engage with these things in terms of speaking to your soul, challenging negative thoughts, engage with that, teaching, soul focus. It really is fantastic. And the last one is dismiss. I'm feeling this. I know why I'm feeling this. I don't want to feel this and this isn't all the truth that I'm exposed to right now. I'm going to dismiss it on that basis and I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. And you might be here this morning and you might say, you don't understand what I'm going through, Wayne. I'm talking about mental health, not mental illness. I'm talking about mental health in terms of looking after your soul, looking after your healthy soul well in unhealthy circumstances. I know that there are people here right now you're grieving, you're going through very, very strange circumstances. Maybe you've got a long-term enduring, during mental health problem. I want to say right now, if you're mentally ill, if you're mentally ill, living mentally healthy will not do you any harm. But also, if you're mentally ill, and you want some pastoral support, we are not just a place that you log on to on a Sunday. We are the body of Christ. We're supposed to be connected just reach out. Just go to the section pastors, the online pastors after the meeting. Connect with us on the website pastoral at heart.church or our men at heart.church. Let this conversation not the end of this conversation. Let's each make a decision that we're going to do something to look after our soul. Whether we've got a healthy soul that hasn't been damaged by the trauma that so many people are struggling with, or whether we're dealing with some very, very complex issues, let's connect with each other. Let's connect with God, but let's connect with our own souls. You've come to the end of this message. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Stay up to date with everything going on in the life of our church by checking out our social media. Just search Heart church UK.